Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You're telling me, producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a lot of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchase is made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We covered a lot of great movies that were adapted from other material in Season 10. Our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals is where listeners can purchase the source material behind all our adapted film discussions. It helps support the show at no extra cost when you buy through our links. In our foreign language Best Picture nominees series, we looked at several adaptations, including Z, The Postman Il Postino, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Letters from Iwo Jima. We hit the high seas with In the Heart of the Sea from Nathaniel Philbrick's nonfiction book for our Aquatic Killers series. Eh, definitely a weaker entry in that series. I bet the book is better. Oh, me too. Member bonus episodes featured adaptations like Gone Girl, The Russia House, Ivanhoe, The Hot Rock, The Big Heat, and Naked Lunch. Oliver Stone brought not just original stories, but also adaptations like Conan the Barbarian, Scarface, Year of the Dragon, Eight Million Ways to Die, Talk Radio, and Born on the Fourth of July. Mary Heron's disturbingly insightful American Psycho was adapted from the Brett Easton Ellis book. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Oh my god, it even has a watermark. And of course, more Stephen King with The Mist, The Green Mile, and The Shawshank Redemption for our King a la Darabont series. Find links to all of these books and more adapted films on our Originals page. That's thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports our show. Get the full list of books that we've talked about and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends... Our conversation begins. Your sister's sister is over. I am a really bad person. I miss you. I miss my friend. 
Oh, this is this is that moment, isn't it? This is This is your intervention. Whatever you think is helping you, I have a responsibility as your friend to tell you that it's not. Just tell me what to do. You know that nice red bicycle that you have? Yes. You're gonna dust off old red and you're gonna get on a ferry. I'm sending you to my dad's place. There's no TV, there's no internet, there's nothing. It's just you. Do they have forks? It's just you and we have a couple of forks, yeah. I might need to stab myself in the face. <laughs> ah! Sorry, sorry, sorry! I'm in the wrong house and I, I... Hey, you're Hannah. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I'm Iris's friend Jack. You're on an island. It's three in the morning and you're drinking by yourself. What's going on? I just walked out on a seven-year relationship. Whoa. Hence the tequila. I gotta say, not so terrible to have a drinking buddy. That's Going down. Oh, getting weird. <laughs> Jack! What are you doing here? What you are you my sister? I've been wanting you to meet I her. did. We met last night. I know. It's crazy. How, what, why are you... What, how did the, what are you doing here? You don't think she'd be upset if you told her we had sex? Why? Because she's your sister. I'm yeah. her best friend, and it's weird. Do you have a thing for my sister? I, I do not have a thing for your sister. Do you like Jack? I don't know, he seems like a nice guy. I think I'm in love with him. <laughs> You're right. It's um, better if she's a no. That's the first time I've seen you look really happy in a long time. I just feel like I should tell him. What's the matter? Why are you being so quiet? I have to tell you something. Why? Why did it have to be him? I really think your face is going to annoy me right now. My face always annoys you. So, Pete, have you heard about these membership plans we have over at The Next Reel? Membership plans? Tell me more. For just $1 a month, practically nothing, you can become a One Reeler member and get access to member channels over on Discord. But I'm already a member on Discord. Yeah, but you only get access to some of the channels. Okay, so what's on these member channels? Oh, you know that Saturday matinee show? The one that I get every Monday, where the hosts talk about news and new trailers and play movie-related games and challenge each other with their list of films related somehow to the films reviewed that week? That's the one. Members get access to the Show Talk channel, where they can vote on the lists each week. You mean there's a vote? I love voting. Mom always said, vote early, vote often. Now, if you bump your membership up to the two-reeler tier, which costs a measly $5 a month, it's practically the same you'd pay for one of those fancy coffee drinks, you get so much more. What more could there be? Well, two-reelers not only get everything the one-reelers get... That's a given. ...but they also get access to live streams to watch shows when they actually record or anytime thereafter. You mean I have to stop doing this in my bathrobe? Two-reelers also get to be a part of a pre-show chat with hosts before every film board episode. I like it. I like it. Two-reelers get every show before regular listeners and without ads. You mean I don't have to sit through this? Count me in! But the best benefit of all, members get bonus member-only episodes. I love that. It's an exciting time to be alive. 
what can I say? So how do I sign up? It's easy. Just head to thenextreel.com slash membership. Thenextreel.com slash membership? Thenextreel.com slash membership. Access to member channels and Discord, early access to shows, access to live streams, and member bonus episodes. Sign up today. Andy, did you have any idea when we started this, when you started watching this movie, that it would be about spiritual protection? <laughs> is that what is that what you've decided it's about? Well, it is a holy condom. <laughs> wow! I want you like to know. That. I woke up. That joke woke me up this morning. That joke woke me up. I thought this is going to be the first thing that I say to Andy, and I just want to see if he trucks with the dad jokes the way I am today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're there. You are fully there. <laughs> you are clearly not. You did not laugh nearly hard enough at my holy condom joke. And it this is just it's such a perfect joke for this movie, this time, this age. <laughs> Spiritual protection. Holy condom. You're welcome. Uh, I'd like to say Lynn Sheldon would probably appreciate that. I hope she would. I've watched now a number of interviews with her, and I feel like her sense of humor is right in line with mine. Although you couldn't tell from this movie in particular. <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. First, uh, I, I do have a central problem with the movie, and it's all my brain. I get it. But there are too many sisters in the title. There should be more sisters in this movie for that title. I know you're going to write you're going to write at me and you're going to say no no because it's actually he's talking about her your sister sister is reflexive and it's supposed to be actually he's talking about her like it's they're they're talking about each other but that's not how it reads my brain can't get over that and for most of the movie I'm waiting for the next sister to come in even though I know it's not coming that's just it's my problem drove me bonkers it is confusing. And I asked my wife partway through the movie, I'm like, who is the title referencing? Uh, is it, I mean, it's, it's, it's like herself, right? And she's yeah, because, just like, and he says it, is, it. But, yeah, right. Because it, he's it, like, at the, over their drinks. Yeah. Right. And she's like, you know, you're, cause otherwise it would be like if they had a different, different parent, which as it turns out they did. And one of them had a, like a full blood sister and the two of them are just like stepsisters, mm -hmm. then it'd be like your sister's sister, then right. that would make sense. But that never came into play. So it was one of those titles that I'm like, uh, I feel like it's just there to be clever because it's it ends up, yeah, it ends up being one of those things where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, I like it because it's catchy and it it's an easy to remember title. There are a lot of things about it that, that really work for me. But when you think about it too much, it's like, wait a minute, who, who, who are we talking about now? Right. There have to be three people on the other end of that. Like I would, I would never, uh, like I would say your wife's daughter when talking about your child, right? Your yeah. wife's daughter. There are three people, your sister's sister, three people. We need Three people. Yeah. Uh, I, they literally explained it in the movie, and I still can't get over <laughs> can't get over the title. They, uh, Brian in the community uh, wrote 
to me. Uh, he says, uh, I'm guessing you and Andy didn't find Hump Day very effective as comedy, so that's why you guys didn't discuss that as much. Uh, the character dynamics are definitely clearer fodder to discuss. Still, I was slightly surprised neither of you touched as much on that, especially since, unlike the Betty Page movie, this one is actually categorized as a comedy by genre everywhere. So that's referring to Hump Day. And I wrote to him, I didn't think it was funny. Right. It, I like that was that was a challenge that I had with the movie. And so I started looking at after I watched your sister's sister, I started I, I went and looked at how it was categorized and it is categorized as a comedy. And literally the pitch line is a comedy about doing the right thing with the wrong person. And I have to tell you, going into this movie, I also did not find it funny. I, I mean, I think that you found Hump Day funnier than you remember. First, first off, I think if you listen to the show, even you bring up, there are points throughout that you found quite funny and that you were laughing at. And, and so it's, I, I think it's the term comedy. And this is, this is where I think I, I think I kind of struggle a little bit more with Hump Day in context of kind of comedy because it's not like a joke filled film. It's a funny film. I think it's a, it's a dramatic, it's a comedic drama is what I would say. I think it's a drama film that has funny situations that play out over the course of the film. And same thing here. Although I found myself laughing out loud a number of times in this film and I didn't in hump day, like this film actually, like I, I found quite funny and this film really worked for me um, a lot more than hump day did. And I mean, hump day still worked, uh, just it, it wasn't necessarily a comedic sort of film for me, but I found the comedy in this film and I really clicked with it. So for me, this one definitely fit the bill. It's just not it's not a joke comedy. And I think there's a, right, right, when right, people right. are thinking comedy. I think there's different kinds of comedy. Because I would if, if my family said, hey, dad, pick a comedy. We, we all want to sit around and laugh. I would not pick either of those films, Hump Day or now Sister, Sister. Not at all. Because while there are funny bits in them, I, I do not find them comedy films, right? And in this one, where I think this one actually works better for me overall than Hump Day, um, I, I find it, uh, there's, there's more of it that I find sad than, than you know, funny. I, I find it, I, and so it was interesting. I was watching an interview with Mark Duplass and, and Lynn Shelton, and, and he was saying, you know, this is one of those movies where you play it in a theater and people laugh and you play it for two people over Netflix and suddenly it's a drama. And I realized that I am likely having that experience right now, right? He was talking about watching it with an audience at Sundance and how much fun it was for people to sit there and laugh together. And I literally watched it on my TV alone in my house and did not laugh. Like, there was no permission to laugh. And I, I for me, I was taking everything as literally as it was being presented to me, and I found a lot of those people sad. Huh. I, uh, well, I mean, I can't speak to your state of mind when you're watching films, but there are a number of funny elements in here. And, you know, the biggest laugh for me was when he when he inflates or fills the condom up with water and then picks it up. And it is just like spouting like a geyser. It is like a shower head with the water coming out of it. And that was like a great visual gag. I mean, it, it really worked for me. So there are these elements in this in this film. And yes, I mean, it has the dramatic moments and stuff, but maybe it's just the whole, 
you know, the threesome and two of them are hiding a secret from the other. And it's all that kind of the, the nervousness and stuff. But I, I bought into a lot of that stuff. And, and I, I found myself really connecting with these characters. I, enjoyed them, I think I probably would have laughed a lot more. I mean, I think it's always going to be true. And I think that's why people enjoy the theater environment so much, because when yeah. it's a comedy and everybody's laughing, it you all feel that. And it, it really becomes this communal experience. When it's an action film, you can sense that kind of feel in the theater. When it's a horror film, it works so much more. Like there's there's a reason that people enjoy going to the theaters. And there's always going to be a little bit more of a barrier when you're watching something by yourself and you're just kind of sitting there looking at it. And I, I mean, I think some films are able to kind of bridge that gap a little more. So a comedy film by yourself, you could still find funny and actually laugh out loud. I think that this is one of those indie character stories, though. It's and it's it very much is still a drama. And I I, I always struggle with these genre terms like that because I, I don't think this is a comedy. Like I wouldn't term this a comedy. I would term it a, a drama film that has comedic elements, a comedic drama. Like that would make more sense to me. Um, it, you know, some, I mean, I put Steel Magnolias in the same boat. It is very much a drama, but it has a lot of funny stuff happening throughout it. It just happens to be a dramatic story about someone dying from cancer, you know? And, and so I think there are, uh, I, I, when you start blending the genres and stuff, and, and then you just say, this is a comedy. I think that makes it hard when people walk into this expecting, you know, Anchorman. Yeah. Uh, although anytime Mark Duplass is in his jeans and his jean jacket fully burdened with that backpack and tent on that jank 10 speed, that's comedy. That was comedy for me. Riding <laughs> those a bike jean shorts. to an island. And those jean shorts, right. That was, that was, com- those were some of the comedic bits. With like, uh, where it looked like he had like jumped, like yes. dunked his entire top half into the ocean. Yes. Like, I just was out for a jog. Like, that was funny. Like, I, I really, and that was, that. I think it was, it was Rosemary Duritt's line. That's quite a run. Yeah, right. <laughs> so good. Uh, so there are bits like that that are funny. But this gets, it, it actually leads to a second challenge that I had. But I want to start with with a, a real compliment to the film because over, uh, I think, it, where the improvement is in front, uh, over Hump Day, I found the improvisational elements uh, in this movie quite good. I really enjoyed watching these three people on screen and I felt like everything they were doing was moving the story forward, was uh, believable, was authentic um, in, in terms of their performance. Now, what they were performing, I I had a real hard time buying. I, I felt like the drama of it was just overblown. I never quite believed um, that these people would feel such like fear of letting all of their, and I say in heavy air quotes, secrets out. I was like, why are we making a movie about this? Like, these are, this is, this isn't, there's not enough. Even though I love watching these people, what they were doing was kind of nonsense to me. I never quite found the stakes high enough in this it, in in their relationships to one another that that had me super excited about it um and so it is the same problem that i had with hump day that it felt architected to get to the end and by the and the end i really enjoyed but everything that led up to there the whole time i'm thinking these people are they need to get over themselves there is there's not going to they they are completely overblowing 
for the sake of the drama, the relationships that they have with one another. Well, as we know, Pete, that's one of the principal elements of Mumblecore. So they're right in line. <laughs> you know, you're with, you're right. That's a good storytelling that they need to be doing. This, maybe I, this is I don't like Mumblecore. Maybe that's what I'm learning. Uh, yeah. Well, I I um, am on the opposite side as you because I didn't feel it was overblown. I bought into the situations that they had set up. Like I could tell that Jack really actually did care for Iris and and really kind of had a thing for her, but just didn't know how to deal with it. Like I I bought into that and. When you're in love with somebody like that and you accidentally or you you, you not even accidentally, but you sleep with their sister, I, I can see why he's completely horrified about her finding out, you know, I like that. I buy into that, especially as somebody who with that situation where Iris had been his deceased brother's boyfriend one point in time. And so already feels like there's some weirdness there. So I ended up buying into all that awkwardness. And and so for me, that all worked. I, I found that I, I didn't think the drama was overblown. I actually thought it, it was a successful kind of story about this awkward situation that these three people end up kind of putting themselves into. And I, I actually found the way that it resolved with the sisters slowly coming back together and, and Jack finally kind of getting through everything and working his way back to them like i i really liked it and and for me when we got to that end uh, we'll talk about the end the actual end at some point here but i i was really invested with these characters and i bought into it and i thought it was really touching i feel like when i'm watching a movie and i'm consistently saying to all of them grow up then it's missing the mark for me like i it's just grow up uh, because I, I think about it this way. Had they, had she gotten to the island and they said, uh, had the sister, uh, uh, Emily Blunt, gotten to the island, Iris, and said, um, you know, oh my gosh, what'd you guys do last night? Well, you'll never guess. Like, we got so drunk and we had sex and I can't believe that because I'm a lesbian and I can't believe that because my, you know, I didn't even know that I would ever meet your sister. It was just shocking. Isn't it all fun and funny? The whole movie ends, right? It absolves all of the all of the conflict and it becomes just like a non-issue. I don't know about that. I think we basically would then jump to the point where Iris storms out. Uh, Hannah goes after her. And, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And then like, I think I'm saying to Iris, through. grow up, like grow I, up. I don't think so. I, I think that, you know, you're in you're in a, a I don't know, maybe it's because I have a sibling and you you end up having these relationships with your siblings where you're playing the still, only child card again. Well, I see how, it goes. you know, I, I don't know. It's it's like I, I feel that there is a connection that I have, like with my sibling that, uh, you know, there are things that I would do in my life where I would feel like really awkward about like, oh my God, I cannot, I, I don't want her to know this or something like that, you know? And it's just like, why? But I don't know. It's just one of those, those things. It's just, you know, it's, it's creating a picture in your head of, you know, not wanting them to, to see you in a particular way, something like that. Because there's, there's okay. this investment that you have with each other for life that, you know, you've kind of created and, and it will always be there. And so I found I, I don't know. I really bought into that idea that, you know, there's this sense of of them realizing these things with each other. And so I, I don't know. I just I found myself kind of wholly 
buying everything that they went through. I guess I just really want more judgment-free sex always, and maybe that's my problem. <laughs> Uh, here's a, here's another piece that I think plays into that. Uh, I really love the opening of this movie, right? I, I adore that he is, that Jack is a year after his brother's death is still truly traumatized by yeah. it. And he is that his toast at the beginning and the conflict at the party was so viscerally believable to me i was in it like i had the chills i i felt like i've been in that situation before i've been able to like i i have i've felt myself having words come out of my mouth that i know are going to are wrecking balls in public but i can't stop <laughs> and nobody understands what i'm trying to get to and it's just damage all the way across the board i loved it and i feel like the movie set my expectation that this was going to be, at least in some part, a story of Jack wrestling with that in his sojourn to the islands. And it's not. It's really not that movie. And so that, I feel like, was another potential miss for me. Like, I ended the movie feeling like, sure, I, I think everybody grew and changed as a result of their entanglement together. But we didn't resolve the one we didn't resolve the one from Jack at the beginning, which felt like the biggest one. And that makes me sad. And that to me is, for me, what ended up being the biggest failing I found with the film, because I really wanted to see a, a through line that made sense for his uh, kind of dealing with his brother's death. Like you said, I mean, it, he had been the one person who a full year afterwards still was not able to move on with his life and still was unemployed and, and just kind of failing at everything. And I, I never found, and, and so he went to the island to, you know, center himself and find peace. And once he gets there, I never found him dwelling on that or stewing on that or thinking about that or anything about that. It's just like he's once he's there, it's just I mean, I again, I like the character uh, drama that we have between the three characters, but nothing in there swings back to him dealing with his brother's death and even through to the end, like when he's back on his own and he's actually like camping on this, you know, in the forest or wherever he is and he's getting upset <laughs> of a highway side of a road wherever <laughs> he is and then he like he destroys his bike in anger i don't see any of that coming from getting over his brother's death it all for me comes from this situation that happened between iris and hannah and that's the problem with the film i mean i i find it a really powerful film with these three characters but never do we get any actual sense of closure on the situation with his brother's death. And that that's a problem when it's set up that way. Yeah, it's the punchline to a different joke. That's the problem that, that I have. Like, I, I really wanted to see that resolve. And I feel like there were several opportunities to bring it back to his experience as a sibling, right? As somebody who lost somebody very important to him and, uh, and, and have just something play out over the course of uh, a few beats over the course of the movie. And I just never got that. Uh, it was too wrapped up in love triangle complications. And that was a distraction. It only seems to be brought up in the sense that when he's confronting the two sisters and finds out that that Hannah 
had actually been wanting to get pregnant and have a child. And she was just basically looking for a guy to basically be the sperm donor. And it awkwardly happened to be him. And then at the same time, he finds out that, uh, that Iris, you know, is in love with him and he had, or I can't exactly remember the, the point, but he has that line, like something like it would never work or something because you, you were my brother's ex or something like that. And, and so there's a line like that, that there's, it's creating that connection that he still has with her and his brother who's dead. And I was like, okay, so that's, there's something there that we're going to deal with right no but we don't and then he has there's another line where i i i'm leaving because i don't want to come in in between you because i know the value of siblings because i don't have one and uh so you better not you better like treat yours with care and so i'm getting out of the way because of that so so you know we've we've clocked two references to his brother into that relationship, does that count for processing the level of which was set up at the beginning? And and to me, it does not. They're nods. Do you think that a part of the problem in this improvisational type of script writing where, I mean, they really kind of workshop, and in this particular case, I think there were, it listed, I mean, aside from like the actual script writing, which was done by Shelton herself, but it had like, I think, listed four creative consultants in the film, which was basically like the three leads and mm-hmm. Mike Birbiglia, I'm assuming mm-hmm. just for his toast. Um that so okay so they were kind of working on fleshing out the story and i can't help but feel like in the process of the improv of coming up with the story and fleshing this out they like these pieces don't get mapped out properly and st- big story elements like that can get left behind does it feel like that is part of the issue here yeah, well, that's what it felt like to me. Um, they were dealing with a lot of complications, but the fact that they, you know, a- according to Emily Blunt, uh, she says, you know, we, from the time I was brought in to start thinking about this, we were workshopping for like eight months over the course of eight months trying to, to navigate these characters. And they were doing it with Rachel Wise, yeah. uh, who had to leave the, uh, the, just days before they were scheduled to start shooting. And they brought Rosemary DeWitt in and, that sort of complication leading up to a 12 day shoot. Uh, I, I think it's, I think you're exactly right. It just feels like totally natural that this one little appendix of a scene at the beginning might be forgotten ultimately. Right. Uh, it, why, why was that even there? Why was that even there? Like I get the whole setup and I do think that, the the setup is a good motivator, a good character motivator to get Jack out of the house and up to the cabin. I really, I, I that felt honest. It felt earned, easily earned after that little scene, the little toast. All of that felt great. But you know, once you get character actors in character working together, the focus is on the what they're what's right in front of them. Right. And it just feels like maybe it was forgotten. It was the only thing that was at a completely separate location. Like, I, it feels easy to forget. Well, and weirdly, that was the last day of shooting. I, I guess so, I should say yeah, weirdly, but I, I should say it's actually pretty interesting because 
It actually makes it, more sense. It makes more right? sense, but at the same time, it also seems like they would have known what they had, so they would have been able to kind of shoehorn it in a little bit. Uh, I, you you would think that, but then <laughs> they like they shot over twelve days, and to hear Mark Duplass talk about it, like when they shoot a movie together, they shoot they the cameras are running. 11 out of 12 hours of every day. So they walk away with much footage. So I think it's perfectly reasonable to think maybe they, maybe they had other stuff that would have better affected this particular line, or maybe they didn't have a complete sense. Shelton says my movies, the final draft of the script is the edit. Like that's the that's when the final movie comes together. We just don't they just don't know what the story is going to be like. And I think maybe in this case, there was a mismatch. It ends up, unfortunately, the setup with the the brother, as you said, it just becomes motivation to get him to the island. And it's a frustrating way to do that, because I think that I I don't know, because, yeah, I, I really feel like it's it's an element that would have been nice to see them deal with a little more. Because also, I think in terms of character processing dramas, uh, that is something I am really interested in, right? I want to watch somebody deal with that kind of grief, right? That's a story that you set me up for that story, and I will watch. I'll watch an actor like Mark Duplass perform that. I, I will watch this trio of people perform that. And it that, that I think, you know, I, I think I'm going to look back at this particular show that we're doing, and I'm going to regret not saying this part earlier, which is, as much as I felt the drama of the love triangle was, in my own words, overblown, part of my opinion there, a strong part of my opinion there, is that I regret not seeing the story that I feel like I was promised, because the weight of those two things dramatically completely out of balance. I, I want to watch the grief part. I didn't want to watch the love triangle part. And I think that's that's why I, I end up feeling uh, less than five stars on this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think that that makes, um, that makes your point a lot stronger. <laughs> so coming at the beginning <laughs> might have been better. <laughs> okay. That's fair. That's fair. You know, I, I, if I had a dime for every time I made this particular mistake, Andy, this come is, on. this is right. This is like you walk away from a conversation with someone and you're in the elevator. You're like, Oh, damn it. That's yeah, what I should have exactly. said. That would have been the perfect line. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to also just bring up the fact going back to the opening conversation we had about the idea of these films being comedy. When you start a film, in a grief, uh, like a one-year grief anniversary, like Memorial, and yeah. it has that heavy feel, that's not setting us up for comedy. That's set, and, then, and then her friend <laughs> right. is like, this is your intervention. And yes, there's like comedic, obviously, friendship conversation and stuff going on there. But he goes off to the island. Like, none of that is comedy. It's not setting us up for a comedy film. The stuff happening on the island, for me, ends up working as a comedy. But it's not setting us up for a comedy. So again, that's kind of this uh, kind of shift in tones that, Shelton has in her film that uh, I think makes it a little little more difficult to just say, yep, that's comedy. It's it, it's also really difficult after spending, you know, the last couple of hours watching interviews with Duplass and Blunt and Rosemary and and um, and Lynn and hearing about their process because they are incredibly like attentive craftspeople. 
And you can tell this movie means a lot to them personally. And listening to the story of how they made it and how they work together and workshop it and the amount of time that goes into it, it, it's a little bit heartbreaking that when watching the movie, I come away with less of a positive impression than I do watching YouTube videos with them, right? I, <laughs> I re- When I watch them talk about the movie, I love it. I love them. My experience of the movie is less than, uh, which, which is sad for me uh because they are great yeah oh and I, I i every one of them i think is delivering really great performances here i love the way that duplass works with both blunt and dewitt like i i think there are an interesting set of performances happening between the three of them and i really enjoy watching them it would have been interesting to see rachel vice in here you know she's certainly is an interesting actress who had as you said she had done that eight months of prep with them beforehand and just because this shoot got got pushed schedule wise it ran into her schedule with deep blue sea and she had to bail coming in at that point and rosemary witt i mean lynn shelton said she was you know fairly okay with the fact that they had to go through with this because they had done this eight months of prep and she had so much material written that she could hand over to uh to dewitt and that really gave her the sense of hannah and she was able to kind of flesh out the character but i mean that's yeah with a 12-day shoot which actually lost two days because they had to do this little switch with the actresses i mean that's (laughs) it's an insane insane schedule so you know it's Great performances in the film, I, and I—I I don't know. I guess perhaps with some of these uh, complications, maybe it, uh, that was another reason why they might have lost that thread a little bit. I just—I—I I, I, Rosemary Dewitt's performance—you just couldn't tell. No, right? You, you just couldn't tell. Yeah. She was so good, and and I actually, you know, it would have been interesting to see Rachel Weisz, uh because you know they already have Emily Blunt, uh, you know kind of encouraging her to play it British. And it would have been interesting to have two British sisters, right? Yeah. Uh, but I actually think the pivot to having these, uh, the the stepsister and have that whole conversation about the dad and and their drama was was quite nice. And I, I think it it actually made for a really kind of fun stepsister relationship that that felt, again, really authentic to me. What would the title have been if it had been the mom as they originally had started talking about because it was it was it was going to be him showing up at the cabin and finding this hot woman there who he slept with and it turned out to be iris's mother i think it was just your mom (laughs) (laughs) your mom uh that would have been a strange thing and i i can't tell because whenever i i'm watching them the the principal cast talk about this and in this case watching duplass and and shelton talk about this um you know it was mark who had this nugget of the idea and called shelton and said hey i have this idea can we work on this um yeah so this guy he's coming with his grief and and he his best friend says to you got to go to my cabin and and so he goes to the cabin and he sees her mom and my sense is that is the first thing that got changed. <laughs> that is a number one, 8 a.m. Monday morning. It's not your mom anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, that would have been. Yeah. Well, because it changes the whole story. Obviously, the changes whole, the whole story, story had to change also because then the mom yeah. was she had she decided that she was a lesbian and then was like and then all of a sudden it's like that whole side of the story becomes 
much more. Uh, my hunch is that that whole side of the story only came there after the change. Yes, you know, after yeah, it became yeah. the, the vegan sister. Can, can we talk about uh, the treatment of vegans in this movie? I just have to say, it was like, I mean, it perhaps Terrifying. it was because sisters are, they're, they're both doing things. Like, obviously, Hannah tells this very embarrassing story about Iris, that Iris is horrified that she's mentioned. But still, like, to put butter in a vegan's mashed potatoes, I mean, that is pretty mean. I, my, my sister is a vegan, and there are these things that you start learning. It's just like, you got to take it a little more seriously, because that's actually, you know, it is kind of low blow when you're doing stuff like that. So it's like, that's, I mean, that's a, that is a, a mean thing to sneak in there. Well, and this is, so did you, did you find yourself laughing at the bit? I, I you know, I don't. I didn't laugh a lot because I felt like I was like, God, they're just being jerks to her. Like, what is what is going on? And I'm like, well, I guess it's just getting back for the joke for for telling about, you know, her her horrifying story that she had about, um, uh, you know, that that time in her past. Yeah, I guess I feel like I uh, this might be going back to our comedy discussion. Like this might have been something I laughed at in a theater. Right. If other people were laughing, I might find it funny. As it was, I thought, oh, my gosh, they're setting us up for now a weird, estranged sister relationship. Like it turns out these sisters, they their sister relationship is performative. When they actually see each other again, they they start digging at each other in ways that they know are pushing some of the really deep buttons and and hurting one another. And I thought, what are we going to get now? And it turns out that wasn't it at all. I think I think that was just supposed to be a comedic moment. Yeah, I I think so. It is one of those uh, things where they're just it's I think just comedic showing us that they're butting heads a little bit. Now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I want to uh, I want to talk about the ending a little bit because this is the second film where I think uh, of our series at least where Lynn Shelton is leaving us with an ending that is a a cliffhanger and I'm or I don't know if I'd call either case a cliffhanger, but she's leaving us without completing the story and i i don't know i find myself does that bother me or is it something where like is there a good reason to end this way as opposed to just not showing what the results are on the pregnancy test i mean that's what they're waiting for they flip it over to look at it and it cuts to black and i'm just like i don't know i guess it's it's a it's an interesting thing with shelton that i'm i don't know how crazy i am with the way that she's ending her films because sometimes when a film ends this way i feel like it's the filmmaker trying to just do an indie sort of ending without giving us the actual ending because they can't figure out how to end it and that's my struggle with the way that it ends i don't know did it bother you at all well, there's this certain sort of slice of life experience that we get, and the resolution may be that the three of them have come to terms with moving forward through life together, and it kind of doesn't matter whether or not she ends up pregnant. Yeah, it's the whole, does the top fall at the end or not, at the end of Inception. Yeah, yeah it's the same That's thing. That's not but the point, but yeah. Coming off of Hump Day, which left, I think, a much more puzzling cut yeah, to black much more you're right yeah uh, right this this was kind of a relief i'm not crazy about it as a consistent strategy so coming right off of that movie cutting to black in the middle of a sequence i find i, I don't care for it uh, i feel like give, come on give us give us an end i also think she is pregnant because emily blunt communicated that to me like her face was such that 
I little think smile. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. It was like yeah. that shock smile that kind of felt, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's resolution enough. I, but I don't, I don't like it as a strategy, a consistent strategy. It'll be interesting to see what happens next week. It will. It, if that and, cuts and to black, continuing. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> and continuing through the series, right? No. And, and you're right. I mean, there is enough of a hint there where we get a sense as to what's, how things are going to go. I guess it's just the fact that Shelton has adopted this like abrupt end strategy. And, uh, and as you say, I hope it, isn't going to be her thing so i guess we'll just have to wait and see because this time i'm just like "Ah, really again um but you're right it wasn't as mysterious as the ending in hump day like in hump day we're really left like there are a number of different ways this really could go and i'm not sure which way you're intending whereas in this you're right the three of them are together they're in this communal bonding moment and so even if she's not pregnant even if she is it almost doesn't matter. So, yeah, I, th- I I think you're right. Would it have been more compelling to you if we'd used that little coda at the end to demonstrate some sort of Jack's resolution about his brother? You're right. Like, let's bookend something about that, because you've already demonstrated that it doesn't matter if she's pregnant or not. We've resolved that. Let's actually finish the story you started telling in the beginning. Yeah. Have them at his tombstone or something you know have, yeah have a moment that maybe they have. should have done the pregnancy test at the grave site that would have been <laughs> an, an amazing <laughs> reset <laughs> too too much <laughs> makes it a little awkward a little more awkward yeah <laughs> okay what else do we have on this i did there there was there was a moment where i did there was one moment where i laughed out loud and it was when Mark Duplass is yelling, come here, sperm stealer. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, that, was, that was the best. That was the best. I, his, I, I think his uh, I'm tired of being dead and I want to come back to life uh, monologue at the end, I think, was really nice. Again, it, not so much that it um, deals with the issue that he was set up to, to do, but just the it resolves him leaving like another example of his escape um it resolves him going and camping on the side of the highway um and and coming back just sort of desperate that he realized uh, there's there's something i did that was that i'm i'm continuing a pattern in my life and i need to break that and uh i I thought that was a really nice moment you know what we needed Okay, this is what we needed. He's on his bike. He's biking around. He's having all these issues and everything. And he and he goes to the gravesite of his brother. And he's just like there on his bike. And maybe that's where he has the fit with his bike and, and breaks down and everything. And that is the moment where he comes back and talks to them and says, I'm tired of being dead. And that would have felt like there was that closure with that part of the story, at least for me. Yeah. Otherwise, you kind of think he forgot that he had a brother. Yeah, it just because it, it just seems like he's just sad and, and he's just like he's tired of all of this, you know, kind of feeling this way. But it he never connects it back to his brother. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we talked a lot about those three. I just wanted to say I did like Mike Birbiglia in his very small part at, as the other person toasting at the beginning. I, I, I He's one of those faces. I think that he was in that uh, stand up comedian movie. Don't think twice. Was don't that think, it? Don't think twice. Yeah, I. I, I don't know. He's one of those faces that I really enjoy seeing. I don't feel like he pops up all the time, but um, 
But I, I don't know. I like him when he does pop up. So I'm, I was glad to see him here. I really like Mike Birbiglia. I think he's really charming. And that was a nice uh, a nice bit of conflict in the beginning because you you kind of get the sense like, who's going to pick a fight with Mike Birbiglia? He's like <laughs> the most gentle person in that room and he's trying to do something good and uh, he just, just gets needles thrown at him. I thought right. Was- Talking about Jack's brother, who also is nothing but <laughs> like the kindest person, apparently. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I and you know I gotta say going to talk about camera uh, real quick Benjamin Kasulke who shot last week's film when we talked about Hump Day also shooting here and this may be the time to also talk about the Pacific Northwest I know you love it but wow just I talk about a joy to like live in that environment to film in that environment it just gives you constantly great things to film like the the trees and the water and the fog and just nature and it was just so pretty all the time my goodness you're welcome (laughs) are you familiar have you been to the san juans oh yes oh andy please yeah no that's a this again this is like such stomping grounds like this is where that's where we go right to get away when we want to get because from there like it's just it's just so easy to go to any number of these beautiful islands and um uh it's uh i I totally agree with you i mean there's just so much character and and i think it looks you know it it, it's kind of it's cape cod but not you know what i mean like it's just there's just more flannel and character and i just i just really really love it uh i also love the weather um you know they happen to shoot over a 12-day stretch that was that was pretty kind um you know for those of us who live out here uh, like you, if if you go to the coast, if you go to the islands, you're going expecting just some real unpredictability around uh, rainstorms, you know. But w- what that does give you is gorgeous, natural, diffused light all the time. There's like 56 days in a year where you have straight sunlight. That means you can shoot easily for 300 days. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it is there is great opportunity for great light, natural light. And and you can tell they made great use of it in in this movie. Now, the San Juan Islands there, are they the U.S. side of the islands or the Canadian side? Because it's like right US. there on the border, right? Yep. OK, so it's all the U.S. islands right there. Yep. Those are they- U.S. islands. Um, we're talking about like Orcas Island and Lopez and um, what are the other the ones? Cater. Yeah, Decatur Island, but the real the Lopez and Orcas Island are are the the big ones. But there are hundreds of islands uh, in the Puget Sound um, that are uh, great. There are like you keep going north, right, and you go off of um, you get up into Victoria. Like as soon as you parallel the 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 national border is between um, uh, you know San Juan's and. Victoria Islands, and suddenly you're up into, you know, the Strait of Georgia, Harrow Strait kind of thing. So what I thought was interesting is that this location, the cabin that they filmed at, the I guess the the way that they worked it out with whoever owns the cabin is that they could film there, but they could not divulge the location. They couldn't tell anyone where this cabin actually was. I was like, yeah, That's that pretty, makes sense. Yeah, pretty that makes secretive. Sense. But um, it's it's one of those places culturally that's so fun because when you when you drive around, you know, you get off the ferry and you drive around, and there's the 
the two finger wave. Like your, your hand is on the steering wheel and it doesn't matter whether you know people or not. Everybody gives you a two finger wave, like two <laughs> fingers lift off the steering wheel, whether it's a pedestrian or somebody in another car, you're always waving. It, it's really fun. Like you feel like you're a part of the community pretty quickly. Well, I want come on up, now. man. We'll Airbnb it. I totally want to go up there now after after seeing them just spending such wonderful time up here. I'm like, I need to go and hang out there because it's so beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Um, Vinny Smith is back doing the music. I love the music. And I think I think the music is great because Vinny Smith does a fantastic job of blending the tone of the uh, score with the soundtrack. Yeah. I think they used a, a number of wonderful songs that just scream pacific northwest <laughs> like she she really has a sense of the seattle kind of music scene and i think uh i i think the entire music scape was was quite lovely and moody the song at the end credits she found the band at a backyard concert that like one of her friends had or not a concert but they had a band come play just in their backyard and she just like totally loved them and um had their album and it was just like yeah i want to i want to bring you on to uh to uh, play this song in the film and i was like that's kind of cool you know when they throw things in like that it's breathe owl breathe breathe is the name of the band you know i i really like her style of community building when it comes to filmmaking, you know, like I just get the feeling that 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 band isn't the only group that uh, the only party that is brought in to be a part of the filmmaking process. Like she just feels like a talent scavenger to me, like she works with the people who are, you know, who who are going to be great at telling this story, whether she finds them, you know, through a cast listing or, um, you know, on a street corner. Um, you know, somebody just trying to get to their next thing. I, I just really enjoy uh, the hearing the stories of how how she makes movies. That's something that I really get from watching these and just hearing the stories of her and the Duplass brothers and just the way that they find financing and all of the different elements that go into this independent style of filmmaking that they all really latched onto. It, it just allowed for these very kind of personal just yeah these these connections that they found with people to just really bond over this type of storytelling and i really i i like that a lot and and you hear them all talking to you know the press or whoever it is on film panels at these different festivals or whatever and it feels very much like they are making these communities and it's very much this personal touch that they have and i i really like that yeah me too what did you think about the fact that this also had a French remake, just like Humpty? Is that funny? What is it about her movies? Uh, it's I don't know. Is it's it like the, a weird... it's the hard cut to black at the end that really <laughs> appeals to French French filmmakers? The French love it. Yeah, there's a French remake from 2015 called Half Sister, Full Love, or perhaps you can say the French title Et ta sueur? No. Sir. Et ta sueur. Et ta sueur. Yeah, yeah. Uh... It, it's actually and and your sister and your sister. So that's what the Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, Marianne Vernou uh, wrote and directed it with Virginie Efira, Gregoire Ludig, and Geraldine Nakache as the three uh, leads. And um, I don't know how it was received, but I just I find it so fascinating that here we are, another French remake of Shelton's film. Funny. Yeah. I'll take it. I mean, yeah. I I'm was super curious after Hump Day. I haven't I haven't tracked down the the French one yet, but it's on my watch list. 
I, I wonder if it, you know, it, it makes me curious about how well they handle this sort of other uh, story that we felt was so loudly missing. Yeah, I wonder. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they deal with that any better. Uh, it, it, I'm just reading the synopsis of it. It he's dealing with the recent disappearance of his brother. Oh, a little bit different. So it's a mystery thriller, sex triangle. Uh, that is peculiar. Yeah, fascinating. Well, how did it do at award season? It was a, you know, as moderate success in the indie circles. It had two wins, eight other nominations at the Clotrudis Rewards, which are the uh, the Clotrudis Society for Independent Films. Rosemary DeWitt was nominated for supporting actress but lost to Amy Adams in The Master at the Film Independent Spirit Awards. Uh, she was also nominated for best supporting actress but lost to Helen Hunt in The Sessions. That's one of those I think Helen Hunt was kind of the lead, but you know, these, yeah. the way that they determined these things. At the GLAAD Media Awards, it was nominated for Outstanding Film Wide Release, but lost to the perks of being a wildflower. And then its two wins at the Gotham Awards, it won for Best Ensemble Performance. And at the Palm Springs International Film Festival, Lynn Shelton won for Directors to Watch. Hmm. I I don't have a complaint with any one of those. No. All of those are worthy nominations, and I I, I don't think they should have won. No, I think it's fine. And how do you argue directors to watch? Of course, she's a director to watch. I think people should see this movie just because I didn't get it. (laughs) It's a a good movie to see. Well, I I, I mean, I really like the personal stories that she's telling. I like the way that the characters develop so far in these two films. Even if I have issues in different ways with the films themselves, I think that Lynn Shelton is handling it in a way that I really enjoy. How to do at the box office. Shelton had six times the money to make this film than she did with Hump Day, 120000 or 134400 in today's dollars. This movie premiered at TIFF in the fall of 2011, then opened June 15, 2012, on a limited release opposite Rock of Ages and That's My Boy. Like last time, the film was low in overall box office openings, but high when you look at the per-screen average, coming in just behind Moonrise Kingdom. In the end, this movie earned $1.6 million domestically and another $1.6 million internationally for a total gross of $3.6 million in today's dollars. That lands the film with an adjusted profit per finished minute of almost $39,000 and a profit-to-cost ratio of 27%, another solid indie success for Shelton. That's a that's an anthem to really crow about. <laughs> Ain't it, though? you're you're ready to take it to the mat uh let's do it head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel and you'll see the list of all the movies that we've talked about on this fair show if you swipe over in your show notes and tap the word flick chart it'll take you straight to this movie in the flick chart database where you can add it to your own list and see how it stacks up against ours all right first up we have your sister's sister or underworld um probably underworld um uh yeah, I guess I'll say Underworld. I'm a little torn on that one. I'm, right I guess gate, I'm, I'm I guess I'm torn. <laughs> Your sister, sister, or Shivers? <laughs> oh man. Um, I'm gonna say your sister's sister. I'd probably say Shivers. Okay, well let's Weird. do it. Weird. Let's take it to the mat. All right. One. One. Two. Two. Three. Three. Rock. Paper. Oh, Shivers takes I, it. I cover you. I, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Like both of them, I'm, I'm fine with it depending on the time. So, yeah. Your sister, sister, or Labor Day. I'll say your sister, sister. Yeah, I'd give that your sister, sister. Your sister, sister, or the little foxes from our Betty Davis series. I'll say your sister, um, sister. Yeah, your sister, sister. 
your sister's sister or seconds. Oh, definitely seconds for me. Seconds, yeah. Your sister's sister or Ocean's 13. Um, Ocean's 13. Uh, I'll say your sister's sister here. Hmm, that's too bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm flexible. You know what? I'll give you Ocean's. All right. Isn't that nice of me? I'll take I'll take it. Give her your sister's sister or danger diabolic. Oh, Oh, that's a fun one. Your, your sister's sister. (laughs) I almost want to say danger diabolic. I know you do. I'm surprised you're not landing hard on it. I, you know what? I, I'll say it. Let's, let's just take it to the mat and see what happens. All right. All right. One, one, two, two, three, three, paper. Wow. Look at that. Your sister's sister takes it. Your sister's sister or from hell or a Hughes um, Brothers series. I'm I will say from hell. I'm, I'm going to go from hell. I'm from hell too. Your sister's sister or Rachel, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Could be your Rachel, Rachel. Yeah, right. It'd be uh, your Rachel's Rachel. Your Rachel's Rachel, right. <laughs> I would say your sister's sister. Um, okay, me too. That lands your sister's sister in spot 410 on our chart. 410 out of 510. That's only a 20%. Quite low. It did better on my list um, by a bit. (laughs) Yeah. I I guess. How'd it do for yours? Was it an easy rank? Definitely better on my chart. Uh, It landed in spot 1577 out of 4643 or a 66%. Mine, 66%. All right. That's actually lower than I would have expected it on yours. I don't know why. Uh, Mine is uh, 874 out of 1503. That's a 42%. And if I were to go by the algorithm over at letterbox.com slash the next real flick chart says this should be a two star movie. Man. What did I give hump day? I don't know. Two and a half. I think Uh, was it two and a half. I think I think that was right. And this is better than hump day for me. So I'm going to give it a three star. Three stars from you. And do you give it a heart? The old letterbox heart. What would the heart represent? I think maybe the heart represents my foray into cast and crew YouTube videos and my joy <laughs> out of watching those. So, yes, I will give it a heart. Three okay. stars and a heart. Three stars and a heart. I'm at three and a half and a heart. Um, I think I did connect with this one a little more than you. Um, I really enjoyed these characters. I enjoyed the story. I couldn't help but be frustrated with the way that they dealt with the the death of the brother or his resolution with that. I just didn't feel there was enough connection with that. But I really liked the story. So three and a half and a heart. That's good. Now, now, what does that mean for our next uh, pick? What are we doing next week? Next week, we are going to be looking at her 2014 film, Laggies. This is about some, uh, I think, unemployed adults trying to kind of sort out their lives. Again, sounding rather mumblecore. This is uh, definitely kind of moving into a bigger budget, bigger world. We're looking at Kira Knightley, Chloe Grace Moritz, Sam Rockwell. Hey, excuse me. We all forgot our IDs. Would you buy a six-pack or something? Someone did this for me when I was your age. It's like a rite of passage, right? I had a good feeling about you. That makes one of us. Whoa! Look at the nipples on this guy. Why would you tweak the nipples? That's Buddha. Did you convert to Buddhism? Want to stay for dinner? Is it make your own pizza night? Sure, great idea. Honey, I don't want to see you throw away your education. You have an advanced degree. I've waited to do this for so long. No, no. Whoa, get up, get up. Just a second. I need to lay low for a week. My dad's learned some lame divorcee mixer, so he'll be late. 
Dad, you're supposed to knock. Wow, high school students are looking rougher and rougher these days. Who are you? It's kind of hard to explain. Hey, did you hear the one about the grown woman who started hanging out with a bunch of pubescent kids? No, what? No, I'd never heard of it before either. I don't know what to do with my future. And I gave myself a week. I never anticipated I'm gonna find a place where I fit in by the time I was an adult either. What do you say? Is this the time? You can stay here a little longer if you need to. One more try. Hey. <laughs> and a happy night. Maybe we'd take my daughter's t-shirt off. It's a little creepy. <laughs> driving around getting chocochinos with Megan. Is that your drug dealer? I'm going to tell you something that I've gotten some perspective on recently. You can't keep putting aside what you want for some imaginary future. You've just got to suck it up and go with your gut. You're boning, Mr. Hunter? No, it's not like that. It gross. Definitely kind of stepping up as far as kind of the A-listers. So uh, it'll be an interesting journey to see how Lynn does with this. I'm looking forward to it. It it kind of feels like Emily Blunt was a gateway performer. <laughs> well, this was, remember, it, there was a time when Emily Blunt, and I, I had forgotten about this, but she kind of was an indie person. And this yeah. was kind of that point where she was kind of making her way up because I think she had uh, done, you know, I mean, she had been, you know, doing things like a lot of indie sorts of things, unless she was a bit player who got noticed and stuff like the devil wears Prada. But I remember it was mostly stuff like my summer of love, Dan in real life, a, again, a bit part in Charlie Wilson's war and then sunshine cleaning, a very indie sort of film. And it wasn't until she really started doing stuff like, uh, I don't know when, really. Was it Looper? I, I feel like Edge of Tomorrow was really kind of the, the real that was shift for her. serious breakout for her. Yeah. Like, I feel like she was somebody that you recognized, and it was like either in indie films or in bit parts in bigger studio films. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it, it'll be interesting to see. I am very curious about this particular cast for Laggies. I'm excited to watch it. I definitely am, yeah. Thanks to all you wonderful members out there for your support. We really appreciate it. And as a reminder, uh, we have a monthly member bonus episode that we're going to be recording very soon. It's an additional episode for our Fritz Lang series. It's going to be The Big Heat. should be out toward the end of the month. So far, we have covered Gone Girl, The Russia House, Equilibrium, Ivanhoe, Tenet, The Hot Rock, Thelma and Louise, and Dolomite is My Name as other member bonus episodes. And that's just for this show. There's also the Film Board member bonus episodes. Plus, we're going to start doing some uh, flick chart re-ranking. So... Um, if you want to actually vote on what we're going to be doing as our member bonus episodes, you just need to be a member at the two reeler level and you can vote on this. Uh, members that, who are one reelers, you can vote on our Saturday matinee polls, which we do every week about the movie we're talking about right now. So if you want to jump in on the list topic for that, just become a one reeler member. And don't forget all the stuff that we count on you doing with your podcast. Rate if your uh, podcast directory supports it. Not all of them do. That's okay. Review, subscribe, of course, listen. The most important thing, however, is, and, and we really don't say this enough, if you have a friend who doesn't listen to the show but also loves movies, tell them about it. Share it with them. Let these movie lovers in your life know about this show. 
The best way we have to get more people listening to this show is you. Thanks so much. When the movie ends, the conversation begins. Letterbox giveth, Andy. As Letterboxd always doeth. Oh, man. People have opinions. Do mm. I, you, have, you have one and a bonus one? Is that I what you're doing? I have one and a bonus, yes. Because then I'm going to take a bonus, too. Oh, okay. All right. Do you, wanna, you go first. All right. I've got a, I'm going to start us off with a four-star by Adelaide Blair, who says, in all caps, so Adelaide is screaming this out at us, I am perfectly aware of this film's problems, but I really, really like it, even though there are no stabbings, <laughs> demons, or cannibals. There is lots of feelings, which I am not really into, but no film is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay i like that that is such enthusiasm i have a one star uh from Kristen who says i hate not liking and supporting a female written and directed film but man this went places it didn't need to go this had an awkward beginning where i felt uncomfortable watching the events unfold on screen however this film takes such an unbelievable turn that i just don't even have words to talk about it this lady just pokes holes in a condom and everyone says oh yeah that's real normal for a lesbian wanting a child i don't know the ending the last shot oh man oh man I'm at a loss. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. What's your bonus? Let, you do yours, and then I'll do my bonus. I'll, I want to close on my bonus. <laughs> All right. Mine's Prakya, who says, one star, Mark Duplass gives off 98% sleazy vibes. <laughs> <laughs> 98. What's the other 2%? I don't know. That's great. Well, I'm going to close this out with this two and a half star by Steve G. Going right up the middle with this review. Your sister's sister is a motion picture that exists on this, our planet Earth, and was viewed by me on June 3rd, 2017. Thank you, Steve. I'm doing, I'm doing everything after Steve G from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Letterbox. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022... We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.